And I hope that what I have to offer is somewhat descriptive of this. One of the best ways for us to consider the truth of a Bible topic is to assemble as many of the scriptures that we have on it and uh, go through them and construct an idea of what God is telling us about that topic. And that's what we're going to try to do today. As we think about when the Lord had this supper, this last supper with his disciples and the special qualities of this, in the time that they had been with him, they had probably participated in at least one other Passover with him. Um, but this was the last one. And in fact, it was the last meal that he shared with them, at least as far as we can see. In Matthew 26 and verse 26, the Bible says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's <coughs> kingdom. What is the point of the Lord's Supper? What's the point of a continued observance of it? we might get into these conversations with people from time to time, and we need to have an answer ready for them. And maybe in order to have an answer ready for them, we need to have an answer for ourselves first. In fact, not maybe, I would say absolutely. When I say this is a holy communion, as I have the title up there, we need to recognize that our God has given us a way to be one with Him. And what the Lord's Supper really represents, and I hope that what we'll see, is that that, that closeness, that togetherness, that fellowship that we have, which, by the way, if anyone asks you if the North Columbus Church of Christ has a fellowship hall, you need to tell them yes, because we're sitting in it right here. And we just had the fellowship that we ought to have together in Christ. We need to be ready with these answers, but of course we need to appreciate, first of all, what that truly means. First of all, we want to ask that question, what, what does the Lord's Supper truly mean? And then we want to get into really what that table means and, and the different aspects of the Lord's table. And I'm not talking about the physical table, but what this means altogether. So what does the Lord's Supper mean? In 1953, two men, Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, both of them Norwegians, scaled Mount Everest 20,000 feet in two months. Now, there have been other people since that time to replicate that trek. And, in fact, I looked it up in prep for this lesson. There have been a number of people to do it a lot quicker. I think the, the record so far, as far as how fast it was, I think it was 16 hours and then the next down is 20 hours, 16 hours with assisted oxygen, 20 hours without that assistance. And uh, I can't imagine doing that. I'll just tell you right now. And especially back in the 50s when that sort of thing, you know, oxygen assistance was probably not even possible, uh, or at least not to the degree it might be today, um, this took dedication. This took focus. This took uh, determination 
to get up that mountain. And as Edmund was uh, interviewed afterward, this quote uh, came out. It is not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. And I think this is really pertinent in terms of Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not just a uh, tradition that churches of Christ have amongst each other, that we're going to do this and it makes us feel good. The Lord's Supper is not just something that we put together because, well, these are the rules, this is what God has commanded, and this is it. It's something that is inside of us that needs to be real. And if it's not, there's a problem, and we need to work that out. The Lord's Supper is a high point in worship to God. I say a high point because we have other aspects to that worship. But if we notice in Acts 20 and verse 7, we'll refer back to this throughout the lesson this morning. In Acts 20 and verse 7, here's where we get the notion that the Christians in the first century uh, came together on a normal basis. But note the way that it says this. Acts 20 and verse 7 On the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message till midnight. Now that term uh, came together, maybe your translation says gathered, that is a passive participle. What that means is that what that is saying is it it, it means having been assembled. And what I pull from that at least And if you compare with the term in Matthew 2 and verse 4, where it says, When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. That's Herod asking about the birth of the Christ. That had gathered. That's the same term. And so what I would pull from this is that this was a normal practice of the Christians of the first century to come together for the express purpose to break bread together in the observance of the Lord's Supper. I would put this in the same context of worship because Paul spoke to them and continued his message till midnight. So this was a common practice among brethren. And again, I would not argue this is the only point that we gather. But I would argue that it seems like that was one of the main points about why they had gathered, at least this in, in this particular case. Uh, a couple of other things we notice about the Lord's Supper is that it's associated with being in the kingdom. Back in Matthew 26, where Jesus says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Someone says, well, he's talking to the apostles at that point. Yes, he is. But let's recognize this and let's combine this with what we find in Luke 22. Turn to Luke 22. Luke 22 And we'll be reading in verse 29. Luke 22, verse 29. Keep in mind, he's still talking to his apostles. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink my table at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now let's realize something here that when we partake of the Lord's Supper together as a congregation, we are partaking it along with the Lord and with His apostles. Of course, this isn't happening in a literal, physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, that is the sharing that we're having together. 
And it raises it up to this level that we need to recognize that the Lord's Supper is not just about the physical elements of what we're doing. It's about the spiritual quality of what we're seeking to accomplish together. A similar statement, well, not a similar statement, but in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21, Paul asks this question, and this helps to show us that there are certain things in our mind that need to be present, and there are certain things in our mind that should not be present. And I know that this is a different context that Paul is saying these things, but I think it works because we're talking about the Lord's Supper here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 21, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. You see, we're partaking of this in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom as we partake of this. It, it means that those who are outside of the kingdom, those who have not obeyed Christ and have not put Him on in baptism, they have no cause or reason. And in fact, if we read on in 1 Corinthians 11, we'll see that that they're doing harm to themselves spiritually by partaking of this meal without having obeyed the gospel and becoming a Christian, being part of that kingdom. So there are certain things that are part of that kingdom. Jesus is there. The apostles are there. All of his faithful are there. The devil has no cause or no place there. And that means even among Christians, there, we need to get rid of those thoughts about the things of the world, the things of this life. That's why we go to those conclusions. But we need to recognize, too, that there are certain, uh, you know, those who have not obeyed the gospel, there, there's no part in this supper for them. Because this is part of the kingdom. This is part of the truth that God's given us, that, that we belong together, that we belong to Him. We're part of Him. You go back to John 6, this is not in our lesson, but I mean, you, you look at John 6 and what Jesus is saying about eating His body and drinking of His blood. He's talking about, you, you really need to want to be a part of me. And that, that needs to be our want as well. So uh, it's a table of many different things, right? And we'll, we want to look at a few things here today to, to sort of center in our mind about the Lord's Supper. First of all, it's a table of thanksgiving. It's a table of thanksgiving. In Luke 22 and verse 19, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it, to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we bless the bread and the cup, which is what we're doing when we're praying before we hand those things out, then it tells us that we should really be reflecting upon our thanks for Jesus, our thanks for this meal, which is a memorial to him. We're not giving thanks for anything else. It is improper for us to be thanking God for our house or our car or other things at that particular time. It just doesn't fit. And it's important for us to know that we are thanking God for the sacrifice of His Son and what that means to us. It's a special time to thank God for that. And I think that's what we see here, that Jesus is giving thanks to God concerning all of this. Not only is a table of thanksgiving, it's a table of remembrance. In that same verse, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I understand Brother Gary will have more on that the next, uh, the next hour. But it's a point for us to remember what he went through 
in giving His body and His blood. That's why we want to read passages that remind us of that. Even if they don't occur in the Gospels, they're, they're, you know, we need to recognize Christ is all through the Bible. Even in the things that we talked about in the first hour this morning, that sin cycle in Judges, Christ is there. Christ is the judge that can deliver us from sin. And if we trust in Him, we don't have to go back to that. We don't have to go back to that. We can break that cycle. This was instituted on the night he was betrayed, though. And he was taken and humiliated, tortured, and crucified for our sins. We need to remember that. Because it is very easy for us to forget it. And we don't need to forget it. It's a table of remembrance. It's also a table of communion. That togetherness, that fellowship, that's the same basic idea. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 10, where I think we may still be, be there. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. In, in leading up to the verse that we read just a minute ago, uh, Paul is encouraging the brethren to, to be holy, really, to be separate. And he says in verse 16, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For you all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? You see, we're, we're part of that. If we're partaking of that, it means we know, or at least we think, that we're part of that. And we need to recognize that truth, that this is togetherness, that proper communion, one of the highest blessings we can have together in Christ. But again, improper communion creates condemnation. Look at chapter 11 and verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And think about the seriousness of that. And consider that this is not something to be taken lightly. I knew this day would come, but just today, it's interesting, Jericho couldn't understand why he couldn't have one of those crackers. And, you know, he got a little mad about that. And, but, but we have to recognize, of course, that this is an important thing. We're not just handing out crackers. There's something special going on here. And you can never be closer to Christ than being here with proper observance. Verse 28, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Again, the question might come up, well, what's that unworthy manner mean? Well, I, I think what that would come down to is anything that would interfere with that communion that we have with Christ. Whether I've never obeyed the gospel, or whether there is something in my life that I have not resolved, I have sin in my life that I haven't resolved, that's in the way of my proper fellowship with God, that needs to be stopped before I can partake of this in a worthy manner. So that's, that's what we recognize. is This is a table of communion. We're together with Christ in this. We're together with His apostles. We're together with all the kingdom, all those faithful who have gone on as well are partaking of this. It's a table of obedience as well. And just to quickly step through a few different passages, and I, I hope you understand, we're not just cherry-picking these and putting them in our, in our own order, but we recognize this order going on, and generally 
this seems to be the order that we see. When he had given thanks, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Paul going back to this, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Matthew 26, 27, we read it earlier. He took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the covenant, new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then in Acts 2.42, we see they continued steadfastly. We see those early converts. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. I would take that to mean that we're talking about the worship that was authorized and taught in the apostles' doctrine. And then, of course, we already read in Acts 27, 20 verse 7, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. This was their common practice. And it ought to be our common practice as well. Now, using the Lord's Supper as a common meal, which, by the way, you don't have to look too far today to find evidence of that. Um, you, you, you can look and find community churches that will have more or less a buffet arranged out there. And right in the middle will be uh, a big loaf and, and some, some, maybe some wine or, or, or some grape juice. And in the middle of putting your plate together, you'll just kind of take a hunk of bread off of there and... That, that's happening. Churches are doing that. And I know maybe that's not a big, big shock to us, but that's what's going on, and this is, that's expressly what's condemned in 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 22 says, What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And then in verse 34, If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Now I know, again, in this context, the Corinthian brethren were not sharing with each other. That was the big problem. But that does not take away the fact that Paul is saying, if you're hungry, eat at home. This is not something that's to be used to satisfy hunger. This is something that is to be observed in accordance with the ways that God has shown it to be observed. So again, we're pulling all this together to recognize the pattern that God has given us in this. And this is, this is why. There are many reasons why failing to assemble is a sin. But I want us to turn to Hebrews 10 and notice something that maybe we gloss over in our application of it. Because in Hebrews 10, we might remember verse 25. Remember also, by the way, that when you get to verse 25, that is a culmination of what has been going on before. In fact, we could read earlier in verse 22. Verse 22 of Hebrews 10. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to, in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let me pause there and make this point. That verse 25 and verse 24 are a culmination of what has gone before. I cannot consider another brother and stir him up to love and good works unless I have first drawn near to God in purity and holiness. And I can't help someone else before 
I have held fast the confession of my hope without wavering. So this, this all ties together. We need to be careful that we don't pull out verse 25 and just say, you got to be here. Because there is a bigger pattern at work here that we need to be teaching and sharing together. Now going on, verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Now, the author is not saying that there's no other sacrifice and you can't have forgiveness. He's saying you've rejected the only sacrifice you have. That's the sacrifice. There's not going to be some other sacrifice down the way. Verse 28, anyone who rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Note those three charges in verse 29. And again, I don't think it's just forsaking the assembly that causes this. I don't think it's just the assembly. I think any of these things from, from the point on, you know, from, from when we started reading verse 22, if I fail in any of those things and refuse to do that, then I'm guilty of the same things. But I want us to notice how much he says here, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. That, that's the issue. And when we try to cheapen the Lord's Supper and try to act like, you know, you can find places that will have drive-through communion. You drive through and you get it and you go. And uh, Brother Ed Bragwell posted this on Facebook once. I'll quickly share it. There was a family that drove by after services one night, I think when he was preaching at Fultondale. They had been at Talladega watching the races earlier that day and were asking if they, they could bring the Lord's Supper out to them. I think Jerry's probably heard this story. And uh, Ed came out and politely declined uh, to, to serve them that. But See, that's the thing. It's not about convenience. It's about communion. It's about being in fellowship with Christ and making that a priority. That I, I want to be with the saints on Sunday. And, and all of that really helps us to understand that, that obedience, that table of obedience, that, that's what this is. It's also a table of proclamation and expectation. These things are said, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Are we proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes? Am I thinking of the Lord's Supper that way? Or am I just thinking, you know, am I thinking of things I'm going to do later on in the week? The Christian is saying, in his observance of the Lord's Supper, I know that he died... And I know that he was raised, and I know that he will raise me. That's what we're saying. We're proclaiming this to the world. And so when someone asks you, do you really partake of the Lord's Supper every week? Doesn't that get boring? Doesn't that get old? We should resoundly say, no, it does not. Because every day I need to be reminded, right? but especially what a gift it is that every week we have this gift to come together as Christians and observe this communion, observe this memorial together. Philippians 3, 
verses 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. How did He get to that point? How did He get to that point where He could transform our lowly body to be conformed to His glorious body? It was not possible before He died on the cross. He made it possible. What a thing to be celebrated. What a thing to appreciate about the wondrous things that God has done for us. And we are expecting and we know that the day will come when we will dwell with Him forever. It's a table also of self-examination. Again, this quote, it speaks volumes to me about this. It's not the mountain we conquer but ourselves. It's not the Lord's Supper that we're observing, but we're examining ourselves. It's the same thing. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In prepping for this lesson, I was just struck with the thought that, you know, there's really not a lot. You know, in terms of the observance of the Lord's Supper, there's really not a lot of ways that we can judge each other, are there? I mean, we can kind of say, well, you know, maybe... You know, if there was something outward that I'm doing that's not proper, maybe there's that. But you know what? Generally, everything that's happening outside, we're all doing the same thing. We're taking of, of, of the unleavened bread. We're drinking the, the grape juice. That's all that's happening externally. Everything else is inside. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, you know, I, I've, I've preached this sermon before at Pinson and at that time, I asked the brethren if it would be okay if we partook of the Lord's Supper afterward. Because I felt like, well, maybe this lesson kind of will draw on someone and maybe they need to remember these things. But, you know, uh, in prepping for this, I didn't ask for that. Because there's something we need to recognize. If I fail to observe the Lord's Supper in the right way, you know, think about that. Think about this morning. If you know you, you didn't observe it in the right way, you don't have another chance. I mean, maybe you could go to the evening services at Starkville, but here's the thing, and, and, and we get into conversations about the evening observance and things like that. I'm not here to discuss that. One point I would make about that, though, is that the congregation is assembled together. We partook of the Lord's Supper. And may I suggest that you can be here and partake of it and still partake of it unworthily because your mind isn't where it ought to be. And I tell you, it happens to me all the time. And we all fail in that way. But, you know, we can, we can also lift each other up in that way to know that, you know, we can do better next week. <laughs> and we can have that mindset that, you know, I, I'm going to keep this in mind. I'm going to focus on this. Because that self-examination, that's what we need. And it's, just, it's self-examination in at least two ways. First of all, to make sure that I understand and recognize the Lord's sacrifice. I need to see that as real and true. I need to appreciate that. And secondly, I need to make sure I'm living up to this sacrifice with my conduct and with my faith. And I know we fail so much. There's no way that we can perfectly, without stain, live up to this. But that's where God's grace is available. And we reach out to Him and we beg Him to cleanse us 
and make us better so that we can serve and worship him with holy hands. So that's where we are this morning. When we think about this, let's remember the words of Jesus. And if you have not obeyed those words this morning, we implore you to make that right, whether you're not a Christian or whether you need to make something known of a public nature that we can pray for you and pray with you on. If we can help at all, please come forward while we stand and sing.